Amen. What now? I, I know, right? Uh, that's just not that's not what you want to follow, huh? Uh, girls, you did a fantastic job back there. I know y'all have been working hard for the past, gosh, the last month or so. Y'all been been here practicing and working hard, and y'all did a fantastic job. Um, it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's good to be able to wake up early to uh, to come with our families to gather. Um, like the church has done for the past 2,000 years, and to celebrate a risen Savior. We are looking this morning in the book of Luke, book of Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, Luke 24, 1 through 12. I love the book of Acts, and I love at the beginning of the book of Acts, that there's this movement called Pentecost. You, you have the, the bands of disciples uh, that they, they have seen the risen Savior. They have walked with Him. They have talked with Him. They have ate with Him. But now Jesus has ascended back to heaven and told them, Now go to Jerusalem and wait for Me, for I will send you power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the disciples are like you and me. They didn't know what that meant. They just said, okay, and they went back to Jerusalem, and I imagine they remembered that it was at Jerusalem that their Savior was crucified. It was at Jerusalem that he was placed into the hands of sinful men, that he was nailed to the cross, and that he was abused and used. And so I imagine they were scared. But then the Holy Spirit showed up, fell upon these common folks, and Peter stands, and Peter preaches the sermon of Pentecost. And we see a powerful sermon in which 3,000 come to know Jesus. We continue on and we look at Acts and we start seeing this mighty preaching movement from these common, everyday, ordinary men. And I love one of the sermons that they begin to preach. They always say this, This Jesus that you crucified, he is no longer dead. He rose from the grave. That God the Father raised him from the grave, that he walked among us, that he ascended to his Father's throne and now sits at his right hand, and he will come again. That has been the preaching message of the church for 2,000 years. And if Jesus doesn't return for 2,000 more years, we'll preach the message of a risen Savior. So where does this story come from? Well, you're familiar with it. Luke 24. Luke 24. In Luke 24, Luke recounts the resurrection of Jesus. And as we read this story, this familiar story, hopefully to many of you, as we read it with fresh eyes, we are reminded that this resurrection gives believers meaning in this life and hope for the next. So how does the resurrection give us meaning in this life and hope for the next? We want to begin reading in verse 1. We read this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. 
And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. We know that the word of God is living and breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit of joints and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So as we come to the Lord this day to study this, this glorious resurrection event, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to him in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning seeking to understand this, <clears throat> this wonderful message you have given us. We pray this morning as we attend our hearts to this resurrection story, whether it be an old, old story that we have heard many times, we pray, Father, that you would make it uh, new in our hearts, Lord, that you would help us as we understand that this resurrection uh, gives us meaning today and hope for tomorrow. We pray, Father, that you would bless our church, Lord, that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word, and that by your word you would do your work. We thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus, and we thank you for raising him from the dead. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. What, what does the resurrection, how does the resurrection give us meaning in this life and hope in the next? How does this, this story, this story that you're, you're familiar with, everyone in here has heard the resurrection story. This isn't your first Easter. Well, I guess it's Lottie's first Easter, but it's not your first Easter, right? Um, you've been to Easter. You've heard the sermon. You, you've read the passage. So what does this passage have for us today? I love the hymn. I, I love the old, old story, right? That, that good hymn, and you remember the last verse? When we shall all be in glory, we'll sing a new, new song. And it will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. Indeed, as we come and we look at this old story of the resurrection, we remember that this story, this singular event in human history is the reason why we are here. This event, this, this one event in human history is the reason we gather on Sundays, week in and week out. This, this event is the reason why you and I have hope to wake up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. This resurrection is our life. So how? How does it give us meaning in this life and hope for the next? Well, the first thing about this resurrection is that this resurrection reminds us of the one place Jesus is not. The one place Jesus is not. Now, when, when you come to church, you hope that Jesus is here, right? In fact, uh, as, as, as we are, are, are wor working through some question and answers with Knox, we just, we just asked him a question. He's got a new question. He loves, if he gets them right, the next night he gets a new question. And so a couple nights ago, he got it right, and his new question was, where is God? And he says, Knox, do you know where God is? Hey, I'm talking to you. You know where God is? Where? What? He doesn't know. Everywhere, right? Can you say that? We'll work on it tomorrow night, right? Everywhere, right? Everywhere. Where is God? Everywhere. And yet we see that there is one place that Jesus is not. There's one place that Jesus is not. And the resurrection reminds us of this. Now, what do I mean by that? 
I love the wording here that Luke writes. He says that these women, they got up at early dawn. They were going to prepare their Savior to prepare him for burial. They, they went preparing for burial. They had a completely different purpose than you and I this morning. This morning, you and I didn't come to get ready for a funeral. No, but that's what the women were doing. Many of you, many of you have done this, right? You, you've had to, to go through the process of a funeral. It's not a, a, a cheery prospect. And these women wake up at early dawn and they go to the tomb preparing for a funeral. And it says in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away. That's red flag number one, right? They found the, the stone rolled away. What's going on? The stone is gone? The Roman Empire had put the stone in front of the grave because they had heard rumors that Jesus had said multiple times that, that I will be given over into the hands of sinful men and I will, I will be crucified, but on the third day I will rise from the dead. And they said, we can't have that happen. It does no good to crucify Jesus if three days later he's alive and well. So let's put a stone in front of the grave. They rolled a stone in front of the grave. They had their soldiers out there. And, and I imagine maybe the women were thinking, how, how are we going to deal with this stone? We get there and they show up and they find that the stone is rolled away. And then what else we read? <clears throat> Luke says, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now that's interesting. They found that the, that the stone was rolled away, but they did not find that the body of Jesus was in the tomb. And here we are reminded that 2,000 years later, if we found the tomb and we opened it up, the body of Jesus is no longer there. Now what does this mean? It means that there's one place that Jesus is not. He is not dead in the tomb. And for you and I, this means everything. This means life and hope. Why? Because we are reminded throughout all of Scripture since Genesis chapter 3 that sin equals death and that you and I are deserving of death. We have sinned against a holy God. We have placed ourselves against Him and this great cosmic battle of God versus sin. We have sided with the loser. And not only that, but we like our sin. And we read from beginning to end that there is one consequence for sin. And it is death and exile. And yet God being great in mercy, but God being great in grace, he sent his son to take on our sins on the cross. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians like this. He says that he who knew no sin became sin for you and I so that our sins would be swallowed up upon the cross. The wrath of God would fall upon the precious, innocent victim that Jesus was. Not victim, no, not victim. Willing, willing sacrifice. Jesus on the cross takes our sins. But how do we know that Jesus was perfect? How do we know that his sacrifice worked? Well, here we have God's stamp of approval. Death could not hold him. No grave was strong enough for Jesus. Our world longs for resurrection. Oh, just turn on a movie. Turn on a TV. And, and we see, oh, I thought that character was dead. No. No, at the end of it, no, something happened and now he's not dead. He's come back. We long for a resurrection. 
We, we see a favorite character that, that, that dies and we say, surely not. Surely something is, surely there's some way to save them. We long for a resurrection. We experience loss in our life and, and we hope that the next day that we're going to wake up and loss will no longer be there. Death will no longer be there. And why do we hope that? Why do we, why do we want that? We want that because we realize that death is an enemy. That death is not natural. And here Jesus Christ dies, takes on that great monster of death, takes him on, head on. And Jesus is not dead anymore. The one place Jesus is not, he is not dead. He has defeated death. I think about the book of Revelation. I think about Jesus announcing that I am the living one. I died, but I am now alive. And I have the keys of death and Hades. When Jesus met death, death died. We find the women at the tomb remind us the place that Jesus is not. He is not dead. What else are we reminded? The resurrection also reminds us of the promises of Jesus. It says in verse 3 that they, they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, while they were confused, not understanding, you would think, uh, you would think that maybe the disciples and maybe the women that followed Jesus would remember his words, but you think about it. I could tell you all day long, I could tell you all day long that I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to get up and walk around. But what does that mean? Are you going to believe me? Probably not, right? Jesus says this, and yes, Jesus is the Son of God, and yes, we see that Jesus is working miracles and performing uh, more than whatever we can imagine, and yet at the same time, maybe they were thinking it's a spiritual resurrection. Maybe they thought, oh yes, Jesus, you will be resurrected in the last day just like the rest of us. And they see an empty tomb, and their first thought is not that he's alive. Their first thought is, where is Jesus? They're perplexed about this. And so God sends us a little help, right? Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, literally lightning clothing, right? Can you imagine that, that bright, shining light? And it says that they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said, men said why do you seek the living among the dead? What a foolish thing to do, to seek the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. And then what do they say next? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The resurrection story reminds us of the promises of Jesus. This event, this resurrection event wasn't at a spur of the moment. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't unplanned. No, this resurrection event was planned before the foundation of the world. Jesus told us. Jesus promised us. And the angels remind the women the promises of God and how often, like, like we, we are like the women. We forget the promises of God. And the angels say, remember how he told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. That he, that he must be crucified. And they had seen that. They had seen him being delivered to sinful men. They had seen him being crucified. But they forgot the third part. And on the third day, rise. The Son of Man must on the third day rise. Jesus has promised these things. And it says in verse 8 that they remembered his words. 
the, the, the resurrection reminds us of the promises of Jesus. In fact, the whole life of Jesus reminds us of the broader promises of God. Oh, this reminds us all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, such an important chapter in our life, such an important chapter in our theology. And here God says to man, you will be cursed and the ground cursed because of you. He says to women, you will be cursed because of your part in this. And he looks at the serpent and he says, you will also be cursed because of your part in this. In fact, you and man will have, will have enmity between you two. You will be enemies to the end of time and you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. Now, he wasn't talking about the fact that you and I don't like snakes, right? It's something bigger than that, right? It's not just that we don't like snakes. What is he talking about? That's a divine prophecy. That's a, that's a prophecy that God is giving. And God is saying that one day that the seed of woman, this perfect offspring, Jesus, would go to the cross and he would be bruised for our sins. He would be consumed in our sins. It would please the Lord to crush him, but it would not please the Lord to leave him dead. No, because when Satan took a bite out of Jesus, Satan is the one who came up empty-handed. That Satan is the one who is defeated. That death is defeated. And now Jesus is the one risen from the dead. Jesus said, remember. Remember how he told you. Remember. And they remembered his words. The resurrection reminds us of the promises of God. Last but not least, this resurrection story reminds us of how remarkable the story of Christ is. What was the, what was the response from the women? What did, the, what, did the, what did the women do in response to this? It says that they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And it tells who it was. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. And they told all these things to the apostles. And it says in verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. What does that mean, an idle tale? It literally means that they thought they were crazy, right? You know how people deal with grief in different ways? Uh, some people, some people are, are angry at grief. Some people are, are, are emotional. Some people, uh, they almost lose their mind for a little bit. They can't remember what's going on. And the disciples say, oh, this is just grief. That's what this is. They went down to the tomb and, and maybe there was some problem. Maybe, maybe something happened. But whatever it is, they're just confused. This is an idle tale. They could not believe it. Well... This is, uh, this is almost like an early version of Ripley's Believe It or Not, right? This is remarkable. Of course they wouldn't believe it. Has ever there been someone risen from the dead? Has ever there been someone who God rose from the dead like Jesus? No. And so they did not believe him. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling at what had happened. We are reminded that we have a unique story. That the story of Christ is remarkable. That it is marvelous that we have this great, grand story of a God who loves his people so much that he would die for your sins and my sins. Would we ever take the blame for somebody? No, none of us, not many of us at work or at school would ever take the blame for somebody, take the fall from somebody. How many of us would lose our job or our livelihood for somebody? And yet Jesus gives up his life, not for good people. Jesus gives up his life for sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
This is a remarkable story. Moreover, it's not just the death of Jesus that's remarkable. It's the fact that God raised him from the dead. In what way was he raised from the dead? In a physical way. Jesus walked among us. Jesus walked among Thomas and said, Thomas, fill my hands. I'm not a ghost. He sat down with Peter and James and John, and he fried up some fish on the side of the beach, and he said, take and eat. This is the Jesus we serve, not a ghost, not an apparition. No, we serve a risen Savior, a Savior who rose from the dead. And not only did he rise from the dead, but he was seen by his disciples, and he walked on this earth 40 more days, and then he was a at the right hand, and just as Jesus promised that he would die, and he did, just as Jesus promised he would rise from the, from the grave, and he did, so Jesus promises us today that he will return in splendor and glory, that the last trumpet will sound. It's not if it will sound. It's not maybe it will sound. No, the last trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise. How can I, how can I know that the dead in Christ will rise? Because Jesus rose. The empty tomb reminds us that our loved ones are not missing, that our loved ones are still with us. They're still part of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, and the last trumpet will sound and we will rise. The resurrection reminds us that there is, there is hope for the next life. You and I have no hope in the next life if Jesus be not raised from the dead. In fact, Paul says it like this. If Christ is not raised from the dead, you and I are to be pitied the most. There's nothing for us in this life if Jesus is not alive, but he is. So what does this have to do with us for Monday? Three points of application for us. First, some of us, like the women, are looking for the living one among the dead. Some of us are looking for the living among the dead. What do I mean by that? I mean that some of us have put, uh, put our hope and our stock in things that do not last. We are looking for life, the one who gives life. We're looking for this in our reputation. We're looking for this in our money, in our job. We're looking for this in, in pleasure. And yet what we find is that the angel's question to the women is very pertinent for us today. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? There is no life in that. There is no living one among the dead. What are you living for? What is your chief means for living? What, what, what is the chief reason why you wake up on Monday morning? For many of us, we live for something dead, and we hope that it can give us life. We're like the Old Testament. The Old Testament people that began serving false gods, and the prophets told them, the prophets told them that your gods have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but cannot hear. And they make no sound in their throat. And those that serve them become like them. In other words, you serve a dead God. And if you serve a dead God, only death will come from that. This morning, are, are, we, are, we, living, are we living for the living one? Are we living for Jesus? Is he our hope and our stay? Is he everything for us? Are we looking for the living among the dead? This morning, it's great that you all showed up. I love Easter Sunday. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad. I know for each one of you, you had different, different things you had to do before you got here. 
I know for many of you, maybe maybe some of you had to get up earlier than you normally do. Some of you might have slept in, right? Some of you got up earlier than you had to. You went through great pains to get here, and maybe you feel good that you're here. I hope you feel good that you're here. But if you came here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus, and if you leave here never trusting in Jesus, if you leave here not trusting in the living one, if there is no change in your life, then what you have done this morning is you have gathered with us today dead, and you will leave here even deader. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? There's no life in death. No, are you serving the living one, the living Savior? Jesus has risen from the dead, and if he can rise from the dead, then you and I can place our life in him and trust in him. That's our first point of application. Secondly, some of us have forgotten the promises of Jesus. Some of us have forgotten the promises of Jesus. Jesus promises us life and life eternal. Maybe in here you, you believe in Jesus, you've trusted in Jesus, but maybe your life has been less than enjoyable recently. Maybe you've gone through trial and tribulation. These things are natural in the Christian life. But maybe you've allowed your circumstances to take your eyes off the promises of Jesus. Maybe like the ladies going to the tomb that early morning, maybe life has been more like a funeral than celebrating a risen Savior. And I imagine as the, as the angel looked at him, he said, remember how he told you. I don't imagine that, that the angel was stern with him, right? I imagine that the, the angel provided a gentle reminder to, to, to look to your Savior, to trust in his promises Oh, fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. This is the message from our God to us. Your greatest problem in this life has been solved. Your greatest problem will not come Monday. Your greatest problem is that you were an enemy of an almighty God and Jesus went to the cross for you. That's your greatest problem. And this life will be full of tribulation. And Jesus promises us that. But he also promises. He says, take heart for I have overcome the world. Do not forget the promises of Jesus. Last, some of us have forgotten how remarkable our story is. Some of us have forgotten how remarkable this resurrection story is. Yes, we have been preaching it for 2,000 years. Yes, we have read it for 2,000 years. And you know what? It has not got stale yet. Our story is remarkable. Our story is worthy of sharing. Our story is worthy of living and building our life around. We serve a risen Savior. No other religion can claim this. No, we serve a God who is not dead. He died, but he rose from the grave. This is a remarkable story. Don't forget that this Jesus is worthy of worship. He is marvelous, that he is, that he is sometimes perplexing. But this story, this story is remarkable. And if it is remarkable, it is worthy to be lived and told. It is good enough to give us meaning for this life, purpose in this life. This purpose to share this story with our children and our grandchildren, with our neighbors and our co-workers. This story is remarkable and worthy of that. And not only that, but this story, this old, old story, this story gives us hope for tomorrow. Hope in a God who is not dead, a God who will raise us from the dead.
this morning, have you forgot how remarkable the story is? As we have a time of invitation in a minute, the gospel has gone forth. We, we serve a risen Savior. And this morning, maybe, maybe you have never been saved. And this morning is the, is, the, is the time to stop looking for the living one among the dead. To come to the fountain of life. To come to Jesus. To confess your sin. To repent of your sin. To trust in Him. Today is the day of salvation. But maybe during this invitation time, maybe you need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've forgotten your promises. Lord, I needed Easter this morning. Lord, I needed resurrection this morning. Lord, help me to live that resurrected life the the next 364 days of this year. Maybe this morning you need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I have forgotten how remarkable your story is. Lord, help me as I share this gospel tomorrow. Help me as I share the good news this week. And I remember how remarkable your story is. This is the challenge of the word of God this morning. Will we remember this story of resurrection and know that it gives us hope in this life and hope for the next. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would bless your word and that you would build your church, that you would help us as your people to trust in you. Help us to celebrate this risen Savior that you have given us. You are good and worthy of praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.